Hello and welcome to Life in the Weeds. My name is Alex Ballou and I am the host. Today we sit down with Megan Thompson. Megan is a pastry chef from Boston. She's become a friend of mine over the last two years. We met through Instagram. Crazy how social media can actually be good for something. She has really been working in some of the best restaurants in Boston, and now she has decided to go at it on her own, starting to do some creative consulting for different restaurants, doing a little catering, a little private chefing, and we dig into her story, her journey, how she got there, and what she plans to do in the future. Please enjoy this episode with Megan Thompson. Chef. How are you? What's up? Not much. What's going on? Oh, you know, another day in paradise. Yep. It's raining here. Oh, it's beautiful and sunny here. You have a turtle uh, in your backyard. I do. I was actually meant to go check if it's still there. <laughs> you have the weirdest. You have the weirdest life to me. I don't know. I, I don't know why. It's like you work in the one of the best cities in the world, and you live with a lake in your backyard. Yeah, I got pretty fortunate. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And your dog has the, literally the best life of any animal I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, I think we're like in that category of um, people that buy, you know, a home with a yard for their animal. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the new thing, I think. I've, I've heard that, like, not that you're a millennial, neither, well, I guess I, I technically know. am. Me, but, yeah. but, I mean, they are buying homes for their dogs now instead of for kids. You know. It's the way the world goes. <laughs> or just renting gets extremely expensive, so, you know. There is that. There is that. Yeah. It's crazy that, like, I can rent my home for $1,000 more than I pay for it a month. Isn't that? Yeah, it's not. Renting is a poor man's game. Yeah, for real. Which is why I'm poor. <laughs> I rent this <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> oh, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You've had a, a long vacation. I, yeah, I had a week off a few, like a month ago. Yeah. Ago. You were in the so mountains for a while skiing? Yeah, well, we closed, when I was at the restaurant, we closed the month of January, and then I'm extending it through February, so that was like, yeah, that was, you're right, that was a long vacation. That yep. now feels like that was a year ago, but. I had to unfollow you for a while just so I could, I'm just kidding, I didn't do that, <laughs> but it was, you know, FOMO for real, I mean, it was. Your views are just way different than my views. I, right. There's there's literally a dump behind my golf course, right? So, I mean, that's it's a mountain, but it's a right. mountain of shit. <laughs> uh, and it smells terrible. Oh, man. So, okay. Um, you and I should not know each other at all, really. Not that we right. really know each other, but we should have no idea who either one of us is. But... I will say social media is good for a few things. Um, yeah. Wasting time is one of them, but uh, <laughs> introducing yourself to people that you would not normally know and be yeah. anywhere in the same circle with, it's pretty cool for that. And sometimes 
people respond to messages like you, and sometimes they don't because either they're overwhelmed with messages or they're just rude. For a northerner, you're not very rude, which is very interesting. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You've always been incredibly pleasant to talk to. You you willingly share ideas and tips and tell me that I'm an idiot when my muffins are you know, concave <laughs> and sinking. And uh, I am very thankful for that. It's nice to be able to, because we're, none of us know everything about the world of food. Yeah. For me to be able to to text you and you to take time to say, you know, have you done this? Have you done that? Think about this. I, that means a lot to me because you're, you're busy. You got, you got big stuff going on. I mean, you know, like, I think it's one of those things. And there's times where I do feel like inundated with work and everything. And it's hard to like, you know, even with like some of my friends, I feel like sometimes I'm not as great as like being present and checking in. Um, but I feel like in our community and like the food world, it's like I just recently was talking with a woman and she's like, I don't even know you. And you're like helping me out. I'm sorry for like bothering questions. And it's I don't know. I feel like we all have to like help each other out if we don't have that. I, I, I that's agree. That's like you. nice about it. You know, even like how we kind of connected and, you know, had met or whatever. It's just I don't know. I think that's like the bright side of like what we're doing and sort of like the positive side, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. I, but I've had many scenarios where it goes the other direction. And so I've asked people, there's a restaurant in Miami. They, this is like four years ago, they posted something and it looked super awesome. And I was like, Hey, you know, I'd really love to know the, the, the formula for this or the technique that you use to get it to be like this. And they were like, <laughs> their response was like a magician. A chef never reveals their secrets. And I'm like, what a douchebag. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like it, everything in some way has like all been done before. Absolutely. Right? Like, okay. Like you don't have to share your recipe, but I think just being like, oh, I use this technique. You're like, I added this in the end. It's like, right. no one's going to know in Nashville that you're like, you're not trying to hijack like no. someone else is like, you know. 1,500 miles away, I'm stealing your recipe. And nobody's going to be like, you know what? I had this exact dish in Miami last week and yeah. I'm the kind of guy like I've shared I won like a biscuit competition a few years ago and so they asked me to put my biscuit recipe in different publications I have no worries like what are you gonna what are, so you're gonna make them at home okay that's great yeah. but the majority of people chefs write cookbooks all the time most people still go eat at their restaurants though because nobody's gonna make that shit at home right like or it's always gonna come out a little bit different right it's absolutely like there's like a different, you know, patience behind it or like more like intuitive. Yeah, just, just foundational knowledge about how it's going to work out. I mean, you've given yeah. me recipes and I know they didn't turn out the way they would if you had made them. So I don't think it was supposed to look like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you give, you know, and I, I knew this from teaching culinary school for three years. You give 20 people the same recipe, you're going to get yeah. 20 different variations of that recipe. Yeah. 19 are not edible <laughs> generally. So, okay. You've gone from, did you go to culinary school? You went to Newberry. Is that culinary school? Yeah. Yeah. I did like a culinary management program. Okay. So you graduated there. Well, we're going to really fast forward and then kind of come back. And so you've <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, like 17 years ago. Through. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're born. Now you're here. Uh, great talk. And so you've, you've worked at some pretty great restaurants that have got some, some clout behind them, you know, Townsman was great with Matthew Jennings, SRV. I've eaten there twice in Boston. It's stupid delicious and it's an incredibly awesome space. 
it's really yeah. dark at night, so I feel like an old man turning my iPhone flashlight on to read the <laughs> to read the menu. You're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah, I don't think I am. Uh, and then now you're kind of on your own, right? Yeah, I just um, left about a month and a half ago, maybe um, beginning of April. Um, oh, that's almost two months now. Yeah, two months. Here we are. Um, <laughs> Time flies okay. when you're on vacation, Chef. I know, right? <laughs> I've been working. Um, yeah, so I've just kind of had like, I think maybe everyone or most people had like some sort of epiphany last year, whether it's in your personal relationship or work. Um, you know, I had a couple like other things happen last year that just kind of gave me like, I don't know, I just finally got to the place that I felt like. I was ready to move on from restaurants, at least for now, and just kind of take a step back. And I have a few things I want to work on, you know, for like personal businesses. But um, but for now, I'm mostly, you know, private chefing with and collaborating with some like friends of mine, um, kind of cooking savor again, which is super fun, uh, wedding cakes, some consulting. So it's just been kind of nice to like, I'm kind of making my own schedule. You know, I can take on as much work as I want or as little. I'm definitely the summer is going to be crazy, but it's fun. And I'm kind of just excited to, like, see what opportunities arise and make some for myself at the same time. So, Was there a, was there a specific point, was it during COVID that you kind of had the, I'm, I'm kind of done with this, like, I think I'm, it's time for me to step out on my own? Yeah, you know, when we closed initially last year, I remember when we reopened the restaurant in July or June, and I thought to myself, I was like, this would be the perfect time for a new pastry chef to take over. Just like randomly, this wasn't even me thinking about leaving, but just in the sense that like they can come in as like a new restaurant again. And I thought that was like odd that that was in my mind. And then kind of as a few months went in, I just like, I don't know. I just, I felt like I'm like on this hamster wheel. You know what I mean? has nothing to do with the people I work for or worked for and where I work. Cause I really like love that place. I love everyone I work with there. Um, it's been a really great crew. Um, but yeah, it just felt like time. I felt like I, I think I've always felt like I needed restaurants to be successful. If that makes sense. Absolutely. It's like security the behind the restaurant. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of how I've been known by certain people. It's just like, Oh, cause she works there or there. And I just feel like, I guess I don't know if it's more confident or whatever that, I don't necessarily need that restaurant to be successful. So I don't know, just kind of like want to shake things up. And I felt like, cool, if I do this on my own, I fall flat in my face. I'm okay with that. I can always go back. Sure. Just kind of needed that, like, to that, like thought to be in my head and be like, cool with it. It's so weird that you talk about kind of the confidence behind being on your own. I was talking with Alex Harrell yesterday, who chef in new orleans food and wine best chef in new orleans in 2016 like the dude's got a solid resume he's got a really good career and he was talking about how you know the people that he sees in his field he still thinks i'm this little boy from alabama like who am i i don't hold a candle to these people and you in my eyes have no reason to feel like you need a restaurant to say look at me i mean your resume speaks for itself your desserts are fantastic i mean you and you have a huge savory element in your desserts which really catches a lot of people off. i mean parsnip ice cream is not really a ben and jerry's <laughs> thing right so right. you you have this ability to create these things that normally you wouldn't expect them to go together and then you eat them and you're like what did I just eat that was (laughs) can I have another that was unreal so good but I do think at a certain extent like you get the clout and the credibility from working at those places that now you are established and you can go out on your own and say this is what I've done this is where I've been 
and now you can take me for what I'm worth and I'm going to do something, do something on my own. Right. What are you, uh, are you doing consulting for other restaurants? How did you line up those clients if you did? Um, that's what I'm like kind of gearing towards doing more of. Um, I just want to like kind of let the dust settle from COVID and let restaurants kind of like get back on their feet. Cause it's been such a crazy time. And obviously yeah. hiring is pretty much in the toilet. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it seems like across the country, it's pretty much non-existent. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's weird. Um, I've got a friend that owns a restaurant here. That's one of the oldest restaurants in this town. And I think they have, five or six locations they had a job fair last weekend and 175 people came to the job fair they all got interviews scheduled yeah. one showed up for the interview one out of 175 so that's happening a lot actually like people know showing and i just like i don't know maybe it's generational for me that i just don't do that <laughs> yeah like i just have like and it happened even with me when i was you know hiring two years ago i've had people just like not show up and I don't know. Maybe it's just like what my mom taught me, but just like the common courtesy of like, Hey, you know what? I changed my mind or I went another direction or like, I'm no longer interested. Like whatever. Just be like, I'm not showing up. Just communicate. Yeah. And it just like, it blows my mind. That's like, I don't know. You know? It's, like, it, it's being ghosted. Seconds. You could even just text like whatever, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I've posted several times where my interview didn't show up and it's, you know, it's, it's just absurd to me. I've, I remember when we first started opening Dallas and Jane, I'd say 65 to 70% of my interviews that were scheduled and confirmed the night before didn't show up that day. And, you know, I wasted so much time sitting here waiting on this person to show up and I'm a bit of a natural worrier. And so these are people I've never met. And I'm like, did you get a car wreck? Are you okay? Yeah, are you, are okay? you lost? Yeah. <laughs> like, do you need something? And then just yeah. no no comment. And after about the fifth or sixth one, I just had this like canned response that I would just copy and paste from my notes that was like, <laughs> listen, I totally understand if you didn't want to work here, but do yourself a favor and learn some common courtesy because it will go farther in life than just being like this. I mean, it's, yeah. you're not just wasting your time. You're wasting my time. And that's, yeah. that's valuable to some people. There's other things I could be doing. Right. <laughs> just bananas. Uh, are you too, we're like juggling, you know, a thousand things and right. getting ready and managing people and deliveries and yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot for sure. <laughs> so, uh, you live how far from the city? Um, about an hour. It's like 30, well, just under an hour, but about 30 something miles. And you've, how long have you made that commute? Um, I would say about three years, three and a half. Yeah. Do you enjoy the, do you enjoy the ride? You know, <laughs> it's one of those things. My, um, <laughs> I laugh because when I was working there, um, one of the owners, my friend Jim, you know, like once in a while, he'd be like, doesn't your commute suck? Like, you know, and I'm like, I don't think about it. Not talking about it. He's like, yeah, but like you work this many hours a day and then you're commuting. And then what's your drive? I was taking the commuter rail. Oh, yeah. And like, I'm like, just, just one of those things. Like, nope, not thinking about it. But just do it because then I'm not going to want to do it. Yeah. Put my headphones <laughs> but, in and just go. Yeah, but for the most part, like, it gave me, the first year or two, I, like, actually really liked it, because it gave me, it forced me to, like, literally sit down and, like, take time. Right. And so, without driving, so that way I was, like, able to read, um, you know, if I had to, like, update menus or menu note type recipes, I could get ahead on office work. So I started, like, utilizing it as just time to either, like, get stuff done or just kind of, like, 
chill out time. So yeah. she really liked it. I never minded the drive home from work it was always the drive getting to work for some reason because i the wind down time i need that because i'm kind of the guy that walks in the house and i'm like okay don't talk to me for five or ten minutes i just need i need to acclimate myself to this environment i need to take off my shoes i need to need to wrap my head around not being busy for a second but now i come home and if it's the nights i get to come home before the boys are in bed you know it's immediate like daddy it's, it's just insanity but those are precious moments that i wouldn't trade for anything so yeah it's it's pretty cool are you nervous at all about and i hope i don't make you nervous by asking you this question <laughs> are you nervous all right. at all about the the financial security from going from you know having a paycheck that was being issued to you to now you're you're having to make it on your own yeah i mean big gulp <laughs> a little bit like <laughs> You know, I went into this like knowing I've had like some savings and just like been smart about the last few years, not with this obvious intention. You know, I think the biggest bummer is probably health insurance. Oh, God. Yeah, it's expensive. No matter what, it's, it's expensive. So that's kind of a pain. But other than that, I don't know. So far, I'm doing OK. Two months in. So and I know how much work I've lined up for the next few months. So I feel really good about it. Honestly, the fall, I don't have as much book right now, but at the same time, you know, if you asked me back in March what my summer looked like, it was, like, pretty um, wide open. Yeah. But then by April, I was, like, lined up. So I feel good that, you know, things are going to continue to pick up as months get closer, you know. So I don't know. I feel – and I have also have some contacts and friends that I know I can pick up work with. Or um, even Boston has this um, private chef. Like, I don't know who's behind it, but um, I've seen, like, their Instagram or whatever. But – Basically, you can sign up as a private chef, put up your profile, and then someone can, like, look through the website. You can be like, oh, cool, like, she's into this. They're like, this guy's into that. Like, that's their style. Like, and, you know, kind of choose higher chef that way. So I feel yeah. like I have outlets I can go if I'm feeling like I'm not getting work or something. Do you know who Will Goldfarb is? Is that the name? Yeah. Pastry chef? Yeah, he's, he's out in, um, in Thailand, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just has, like, a dessert bar. Yeah. That'd be badass. Yeah, I know, right? I actually really wanted to do that like 10 years ago. but <laughs> I could see you doing that. Your creations, I, I, I would go just, that would be my dinner and just sit there and line up. <laughs> for 10 Drink des- some whiskey. Eat some yeah, oh, man, 10 desserts from, from Meg. I'm down. Let's go. What do you have here? This is a pig trotter parfait. Oh, well, that sounds <laughs> terrible, but I'm sure she's going to make it amazing. <laughs> Pair it with some cherries. It's good to go. What's been the toughest restaurant for you to work at? Mentally, physically, all of them. Um, Even from a growth standpoint, because obviously you didn't start out making the food that you make now. So where was your biggest learning curve? Right. Um, I mean, I would say biggest learning curve for sure was um, I opened Steel and Rye with my friend Dan Kerrigan, who is still, you know, crushing it. It's in Milton, just outside the city. And, I mean, I had to be... I don't know, maybe, how do I know? I have to do math here. I don't know. It was like 10 plus years ago, but I, um, so it was like my early 20s. And I, yeah, it was like my first like real pastry chef like role. And we, this, I mean, that place seats like 500 people. Wow. It was easily selling over 200 desserts a night. Um, That's like a lot. Night. It's a lot. We were also like, I mean, it was just crazy. Like we were just busy. I was working from 7 a.m to 2 a.m. pretty much every day for like 
six months. And then finally, I remember taking a weekend off and just being like <laughs> crash and burn. Oh, to be young again. Oh, I know. It was so it was so much easier back then. And I would like I would still wake up and work out before Right. Like, yeah, now I can't even I have to like roll out of bed <laughs> yeah. onto my knees. And I would and I would still have drinks after work. So somehow I managed to like Man, you know, burn woman. the can out both ends. Yeah. But I remember just when I got the opportunity to open Townsman, I was like, All right, cool, like another restaurant opening underneath my belt, like I really wanna do it again and do it better and like learn from my mistakes in the first restaurant did matt come to you uh actually it was um brian young who was our opening cbc okay so he um how'd they find out about you so brian knew me from events and had liked desserts and he came in i remember i didn't think anything of it but he came to steel and rye one night and like ate the whole dessert menu and it was like (laughs) just after i left it was like one of the first nights i actually left like you know at 10 o'clock or something or 11 o'clock and you're kicking yourself the whole like time three years in um but he you know texts me he's like dude i just had all your desserts they're fucking awesome like sorry language um it's not know, fcc like, regulated up? i want to catch up and we've been talking about meeting up outside of like work or you know events just because we live down the street from each other so i meet him for drinks one night and he's like all right i have this like thing i'm doing with a friend you might have heard about it i can't quite tell you what it is yet but would you want to open another restaurant um, so I ended up meeting with him and Matt, you know, a week later and kind of went through the whole like process. Um, so that's how we got introduced to each other. How, how long were you at Townsman? Um, I think I was working probably three or four months with them before we actually opened. And then I think I was there for about three, two and a half, three years, three years. And then from there to SRV. Yeah. Yep. And so that kind of happened. Once again, it was like um, a friend of mine, Alex, that I worked with at the country club back in the day. She was one of their opening managers and they had just been open for a year. And she was like, hey, would you want to come meet the chefs over here? I know you're not looking to leave. They need some consulting help with like the dessert program. Would you talk to them? So I met them like nonchalantly, like not thinking of it as a job opportunity. And um, they were like, yeah, like, they want to show me the space. Would it be possible to add on a dessert station? This is what they're working with. What would they need to have a successful dessert program? And then after a couple of meetings, they're like, so do you want a job? <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how that worked out. <laughs> uh, their, their food is way different than Townsman though. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you're talking Italian, right? I mean, that's a, that's a big difference from what you came from. So how did you, Again, no pastry chef's going to know everything. So how did you transition yeah. from stylistically from one to another? Was it was that a hard process? Did you have to go through a massive learning phase? Um, yes and no. Well, yes. I mean, I think I feel like every day in our industry it kind of feels like a learning day. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I had to do a lot of research because I – well, I was supposed to go last year, go figure, but I've never been to Italy, and I'm not Italian. <laughs> No, (laughs) (laughs) you can't tell. So I just um, really had to do a lot of reading. Um, Both the chefs at the time, um, one's no longer there, but the two that were uh, two head chefs there, which is its own uniqueness. But the two of them both like worked in Italy together and they've been to Italy a bunch. So and one is pretty much 100 percent Italian. I think the other one's 50 percent Italian. So I got to learn a lot from them. So they really helped kind of pull me in the direction of like stuff to look for. But 
a lot of it was, I think, researching certain ingredients or things that resonated with Northern Italian food and desserts in particular. But yeah, and I think the biggest learning curve was, and the big one of the biggest reasons I took the job is they were milling all their grains in house for the pasta and bread. That's pretty and awesome. This is kind of before a lot of places were doing that. Right, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's definitely picked up in the last four years. But yes, and I kind of had to like basically relearn how to make bread because it's so different than using commercial flour. Sure. Uh, I didn't know if it was maybe just like semantics. Like, so you just basically had to learn. I'm not going to say gelato. I'm going to say affogato, right? So <laughs> we're just going to rename things. It's a huge difference in ingredients and styles and techniques. And it's, I would struggle going from making contemporary American food to like, you know, put me at an Asian restaurant. I'd be like, well, I'm a little out of my depth here. I know what hoisin sauce is. Yeah. That's about as far as it goes. I think part of it is for, especially in savory cooking, like there's different techniques for different you know, cultures of food and styles of food, but at the same time, like, end of the day, like, you know how to cook, right? And so it's kind of similar to pastry where a lot of techniques, like, all sort of originate from, like, classic French techniques, and then they kind of get a little bit distorted through different countries and regions, but... Foundationally, you know, it's like, all the same. Yeah, like, if you know, like, how to make... If you know all, like, the kind of classic techniques and pastry itself, it's or at least like the standards, yep. it's fairly easy to, cause then you're adapting like flavor profiles and things like that. Um, yeah. I mean, an ice cream is an ice cream. Torta, <laughs> <laughs> which is the most like basic word in Italy for like, it could be cake. It could be tart. It could be so many things. So it's just a word. It's all I encompassing. Just kind of threw in torta a lot. <laughs> chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. Let's go with torta. It sounds good. Yep. Great. Yep. Torta. Put some Done. gelato Down on later. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Did you struggle with finding a balance between friends, personal life, social life, dog life, lake life? I mean, you're—I feel like you are a, a very outdoorsy person. Yeah. And to be trapped inside of a kitchen, it's a little bit stifling to to stifle yeah. who you are. So, how did you how do you find that how did you find that balance? Um, I really haven't, honestly, until this past year and that's kind of like another big reason for me leaving is and me doing my own thing is being able to block off time and really have a better life work balance because most of my friends are my work people I've worked with or I work with you know we're currently working with just because it's hard to make time for your friends outside the restaurant yeah it's just association people become your friends you know um and some you hang on to for 10 years and you know some you kind of like move on in different routes in life but um yeah anytime i'm outside of work i have to be outdoors so like i mean you literally live on a lake (laughs) like i hate winter which is crazy i feel like here but whatever i'll go for like winter hikes and snowboard or just anything to get fresh air but yeah i worked in particularly in a basement for the last four years which has been (laughs) like an ongoing joke at that restaurant and it like it honestly would make me crazy especially in the winter because I go to work, it's dark. I leave work, it's, it's dark. dark. You're down in work, I'm it's not dark. I'm taking breaks and like hanging outside for an hour during the day when it's 30 degrees out. Yeah, you know? it's like prison. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a little prisony, but you get paid. So there's that. Yeah. And you make I some really cool bread. stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so how did you get to how did you get to where you are now? I mean, did you just did you want to bake and want to pursue pastry from a young age? Was it a family? Was it uh, you know, what made you really love it? Um I think everything's kind of happened sort of like naturally um like one opportunity led to the next 
Um, I definitely always knew I wanted to do something either with like animals or food. Um, food kind of seemed like the more realistic, you know, out or like not outlet, but the more realistic, like whatever track for me. So I started looking up culinary schools when I was in high school and then kind of landed on Newberry College because I liked that I was getting a business degree and was learning a little bit more. Um, and just financially, that college like was, you know, more accessible for me than going to Johnson Wales or CIA. Right. Um, so, Culinary school was not cheap. Yeah, exactly. So I was able to get like a really good grant going to Newberry and I was able to like lock in that like first year rate for the four year. So basically I, and they had mostly a culinary program. They didn't really have a big pastry program. So when I was at school, I like got a job right away at the country club, which I was doing all savory. So savory for about six or seven years, but all my part-time jobs on top of that were like at a cake shop, at a bakery. Um, and then when I was at that country club in my, if I had even more free time, I'd be working in the bake shop massaging with them because I was like so enamored by, you know, the pastry life. Right. Are you, is it safe to say that you're a large part of your knowledge is self-taught? Um, no, I mean a little bit on the pastry end, but I basically, I worked under like a really great chef at the club. Um, so I feel like I got all my like savory, like knife work. Tech, like you know like all your technique and cooking um different styles there and then i worked with the pastry chef there for a couple of years so basically like i got to pastry because you know there was a assistant pastry chef there that was there for 13 years and he literally put on two week notice <laughs> and my chef at the time was just like floored and i think by then i was um like lead line cook or whatever and he's like meg he's like do you want to be pastry? And I was like, yeah, I love pastry. He's like, this is your opportunity. He's like, go be Dave's assistant and like learn from him. I was like, okay, yeah, chef. So I took that job, you know, and got a little bump in pay. And that's what I did for a couple of years before opening steel and rye. And then when that opportunity arose, it just kind of like that made me kind of officially pastry land side of things. Yeah. And then kind of all history. So, it's so weird how people get uh, promoted or new jobs in restaurants. People, it, there's no system. It's like, hey, the grill guy didn't show up. You want to do it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've never grilled anything. You'll be fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, uh, we have 300 rezos tonight, so buckle up. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Which one is the New York Strip? I'm sorry. I'm a little lost here. <laughs> uh, what do you think your hardest learned lesson has been? Honestly, I feel like I probably blocked them out because I've probably had so many that I just can't even keep track of them all. <laughs> There's been so know. many sucky moments I can't keep track. I'm trying to think of like, I'll probably get off this call and like, you know, immediately think of like several examples. You but, can text it um, to me and I'll post it on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, hardest learned lesson. I think, I, I want to say it's probably when I was, opening steel on rye I was you know young myself and like still kind of like grasping everything but I was you know in this management position in a really busy restaurant and I remember I just remember getting so I was like a little bit more just getting frustrated with um the assistants I had or one assistant in particular that I had at the time and she happened to be like much older than me it was kind of a weird dynamic she wanted to take a step back 
but I just remember thinking like, oh, but she used to be a pastry chef. I can like totally trust this woman. She couldn't like make pastry cream to save her life. And I was just so out of everything I was like trying to juggle and deal with. I just remember being so frustrated with her and like almost just like shutting down and being like, I can't even give her time the simplest task. Yeah. It was like, all right, I'll just do it myself kind of deal. But I think I've learned since that particular like one incident I remember walking away from like a year later just being try to be really patient I love I always take on stages I love teaching people I love you know and people always I can always learn from everyone else absolutely if I can offer something in exchange but yeah I think maybe just I'm generally a patient person but I think just patience and just sort of thinking about that person's background and not just assuming also that they can do x y or z but yeah I don't know that's good we could all learn to be a little bit more patient. Yeah. Me especially. I have the world's smallest views. It's like half the time I feel like it's broken off in me and I just I see a fire and I'm like, bam, just explode. I yeah. don't even I don't even have time for my fuse to get lit. It's just poof, gone. Do you have uh do you have a mentor or advisor? Is there anybody uh, that you go uh, to that you any any of your past chefs that you still kind of talk to? Yeah, I think um I still am on pretty good terms with by pretty good terms. I mean, I still talk with all my past chefs I've worked with. I have in the past, not recently, like reached out to the chef I worked for at the country club, uh, Robert Mancuso, who's out in California, but you know, him and I like over the years, I would like bounce off, you know, whether it's job opportunities with him and get his advice. Um, so he's always been a great one. Um, and then as far as like in Boston, one of my buddies, Brian Mercury, who's an insanely talented pastry chef, him and I would always meet up. We haven't seen each other much in the past year because of COVID. He has a family. You know, we were like each other's go-to post-work, vent about something, we vent about it. How is it being done in your restaurant? You know, kind of that little pastry camaraderie. Yep. Um, but also just, you know, every job opportunity I've taken since Steel and Rye, I've like gone to him and just been like, what do you think of this? What are you making right now? Like, what should I be making? Because it's otherwise a shot in the dark. Like, who knows what? Yeah. <laughs> You don't really know what you deserve, what your self-worth is, and as far as, like, monetary as a salary, and it's... It's so hard to... Know. It's so weird that we can't put a value on ourselves. I've, right. I've People have asked me, like, hey, how much do you uh, charge for a 10-person dinner? And I'm like, five, ten dollars $5, $10, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. it's hard oh, for I'm me to... I'm recently learning I'm charging too little. Like, all my friends are charging, like, five times. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a... Um, so, I've got a double-stack Vulcan confection oven here, and the top half went out. There's only one company in Tennessee that fixes them. And so they're in Nashville. $181 an hour and 98 cents a mile. So it cost me $400 just for them to get here, look at it, and then get back. Wow. And that made me go, I'm charging way too little and uh, not valuing the time that I have to. There's... You know, I heard a story one time that was this factory is um, they've got this huge machine and the, the machine breaks down and the whole line gets shut down. Right. So nobody can produce anything. They're, they're not making any money. The workers are standing there. So they they find a guy that can fix this machine. He shows up, looks at it, takes out a hammer, taps it. The whole thing fires up in like five seconds. Right. And they're all like, oh, my God, thank you so much. You saved us. And he's like, I'll send you my invoice. No big deal. And so he sends an invoice, and it's for $10,000. The manager's like, I, I don't understand. I'm going to need an itemized invoice for this. And he said, sure. So he sends it back, and he said, hammer, $5. Knowing where to hit the hammer, $9,995. Oh, my God. And it comes Amazing. down to the, you know, how much 
how much is are we worth as like the the years of training that you've gone through the you know the the relentless know. nights and hours that you've worked and the those bad experiences that you've had they've got to amount to something and it's not yeah. it doesn't make sense to do a party for 10 people for a hundred dollars it just yeah. that doesn't make sense yeah. and if that's too expensive you're welcome to go to outback you know right yeah <laughs> i mean you gotta like account for the time you're taking to source your ingredients to men write the menu to prep to being in the person's house and cooking for them and serving it and cleaning up and the whole you know your travel yeah it's not just the three hours that were in your house it's there's so many more hours before that with menu planning and development sourcing and it, it's a lot then you got to leave their house and clean and pack up and i mean it's there's a lot to it yeah it's crazy uh where do you find a lot of your inspiration um, I think from just ingredients, um, especially when I was in the restaurant. How did you I, look at a parsnip and say, that needs to be ice cream? <laughs> well, you know, I think because I really like vegetables and I think there's such a place for them in desserts that people like, you know, it's just the whole association. You're like, well, that doesn't belong there. But like root vegetables naturally have more sugar. sugar. Yeah. I mean, you know, beets are one of the biggest sources of sugar yeah. in it's our disgusting. country, you know? So it's like, I believe that might be top three or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, and I think if you cook them a certain way or, like, treat them a certain way, like, you can bring out the natural sort of sweetness in most vegetables. Yep. So that's probably part of it. Um, so, yeah, whether we're getting, like, cool, you know, stuff from the farm, um, one of my buddies forages mushrooms, which is always fun to mess around with. Or maybe like our rep from, you know, one of our companies will show up and be like, oh, I have this like really cool, I don't know, syrup or, or even going to like the cheesemonger. I like go talk to him and he has like some cool ingredient he got in or a funky cheese that he's like, oh, you'll like this. Check this out. So I think I just get excited about one ingredient and I'm like, all right, I really like this one ingredient. Let me like fill the whole dessert around it, whether it's the you know, like the main component or not. Yeah. Do you use any books to help you like the flavor matrix or the, uh, the flavor Bible? Do you use anything like that to help you figure out the components around a specific ingredient? Um, I don't anymore. I did for the first handful of years of my career for sure. I like, it's like my favorite two of my favorite books to give to like new. Oh, it's so powerful. I mean, it's yeah. literally the encyclopedia for food. Yeah, I haven't opened one up in a long time. I'm not gonna lie, but well, now you just got all like, the knowledge now. <laughs> yeah, we kind of like, and I think you, as you do it this longer and longer, you're able to like build a good palate and sort of trust. You know, like you know in your mind, like all right, this tastes salty, and I want to add sweet. You know, you can kind of build right. up that. And then textures, um, and it all just kind of comes together. Yeah, exactly. I I was usually pretty good about putting things together, but it was like, I'm missing this one element and I can't figure out what it needs to be. And so it's like pistachio. Okay. So, well, I, I don't want to just put a pistachio on there. So yeah. let's figure out how we take that to a pistachio granola or a, a, a cookie, a crisp or something. Your textural elements are awesome. Well, I'm like, what is this? You're like, Oh, it's coconut. And I'm like, Oh, that's not at all what I would have figured out. So <laughs> you're talented. It's crazy. How important is exercise to you? Oh, it's like, I think you've probably talked about this before, but um, it's pretty much everything. It's kind of what keeps me, I feel like I can generally be a level-headed person, but of course, you know, if you say that, that means you're not, but um, <laughs> but I feel like 
without exercise, like I just kind of go crazy. And even, you know, like the hours I've spent on my feet working over the years, as obviously, you know, like puts a number on your, a toll on your body. And so if I'm not consistently exercising, I feel it like my back starts to hurt or I have some sort of injury will pop up if I don't exercise for a few days, or at least I feel like that's the case. Yeah, um, same. But yeah, but like mentally, it just, I don't know, it like sets me up for the day. It like I feel more like everything's more clarified. Do you exercise yeah. daily? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I've now I've been trying to force myself for like rest days because I'm not as good at that. I'm terrible but at I those. But I am realizing it's really more, it's so much more beneficial too, but. Yeah, it is. Do you have a morning ritual? Not consistently, and especially right now because my, I did when I was at the restaurant, but now I feel like early in summer, later. What time were you waking up? Like 4 a.m.? Yeah. Yeah. So I could like get in the city, you know, half hour or so to get out of the house, get in the city by 5.30, be at the gym for an hour, take a shower, be at work before 7. You're one of the first ones in the building, I assume. Yeah, pretty much always. There's nothing. I, I love being in my restaurant alone. It's There's so nice. a, I just can't even explain. There's nothing to get in your way. There's, you don't have to talk to anybody. You can just focus. I'm talking like laser focus. There's nothing. Yeah. I mean, it can get a little lonely, but to just be able to walk in, nothing else going on, just you yeah. and your your prep. It's just a, it's a great feeling. I love it. It's a nice way to get like set up for the day and like kind of like plan out your day before you get the madness of like deliveries and you know cooks coming in and. reps that you don't know (laughs) Uh, we i would have consistently a guy walk in here about 30 minutes before dinner service he'd be like hey you got about 45 minutes to talk about our meat program like i I don't i I, I don't um make an appointment if you could email me though and then he wouldn't email me he'd come back the next week hey man you'll talk about this beef no i do not want to now you're just making me angry i don't (laughs) reps are like i mean i'm now friends with a handful of them that I've worked with over the years that I really like, but some reps are like, they're vicious. They have no, like, I'm like, you know how to sell. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just, I'm not like pushing enough to be no. <laughs> a sales rep. But at some point it starts to turn me off and I'm like, oh, this is just not going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. You're going to have to leave me alone. Um, all right. Well, what are, so I want to know three things that you can't live without. Marla. Like, like we're talking, does that have to be like materialistic? I w- I've generally said don't say people, but everybody says family first. And so, you know. I was about to say my dog. I was going to say Marla <laughs> for sure. I mean, it's the dog. Um, but, I, yeah, I would assume that about you. So let's go with two. I, uh, we'll say the dog. What's the next two? I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, family and friends. And oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> I was about to say sunshine, which I feel super lame saying sunshine. <laughs> oh, God. But I literally live for, like, Hippy dippy stuff right here. Here we go. The sun. <laughs> I really just need the sun. You would hate it right now. Long walk on a beach with my dog in the sun. You know? Man, what is uh, that? What are you like a Pisces? <laughs> well, I don't know what the <laughs> what astrological sign is that. <laughs> I know, so sad. Um, I'd be right there with everyone else, just yeah. saying like dog, friends, and family, and the outdoors. Yeah. You know? Two things that you use every single day. I mean, we go on basic here with like toothbrush Phone. and toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man. Every day, I would say um, probably my blender. You, do you make a smoothie every day? Pretty much. Really? What's in your smoothie? I don't know. I switch it up. I mean, I definitely use protein powder, but, um, you know, a mix of frozen fruits, 
You put spinach in there? Huh? You put spinach in there? I do. Yeah. I do, time to time. Yeah, sometimes I'll make a green one. Sometimes I'll be more fruit flavor forward. It's so funny. I was watching. I saw a commercial on uh, YouTube this morning, and it was a dude making a, a smoothie. It literally, the thought in my head was, "Who the hell makes a smoothie every day?" <laughs> I'm literally <laughs> having a conversation now. She's like, "I make a smoothie every day." I'm like, "Wow, okay, people do make smoothies every day. That does happen." Yeah, yeah I always put like a little apple cider vinegar and always like some protein powder. I don't know, pretty basic. It's like an easy, quick way to fuel myself. Otherwise, all I'm drinking coffee until. 10 11 a.m like have the shakes <laughs> yeah my wife thinks i'm gonna have a heart attack because i've usually i have like two cups of coffee and then pre-workout in the morning yep that's me French press pre-workout <laughs> yeah it's what it takes though you gotta get i gotta get the juices going you know it's uh, <laughs> not just natural um okay what's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given you know my mom said to me when i was younger that she goes i don't care what you do for a living no matter what you do, give 110%. I've always lived by that. Yeah. I wrote this uh, back when I first had kids. I had this weird mental issue where I thought I was going to die. And just, you know, every time yeah. I, every time I, I was, in, I don't know, I was paranoid, hypochondria, whatever it is, but I was holding my child and I was like, what if this is the last time I hold him? Jesus. I mean, it was pretty dark. Uh, I'm not yeah. going to lie. I was not in a good headspace. And so I wrote this thing that's like notes to my boys. And one of them was, if you want to make shoelaces for the rest of your life, then make the best damn shoelaces you can make. And I really don't care what you do, as long as you go after it and you love it and you put your all into it. And really, if you do that, if you work with that sort of mentality and that level of excellence as your mantra, you really won't be able to fail. I mean, it's there's 7 billion people on this planet. Someone's going to align with the vision that you have, and yeah. they're going to get on board. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what my mom, how my mom felt like, you know. Smart lady. Super supportive of whatever craziness I've gotten into. <laughs> <laughs> what do, What do your parents do? Um, so my mom is, she's kind of like retired, but she was a horticulturalist and did a lot of like wedding, like flowers for weddings, worked in nurseries, and now she's a volunteer on the fire department. That's awesome. And then my stepdad just retired. He was in kind of like uh programming and then he's also a volunteer in the fire department wow so, you got some yeah. great parents i mean that's yeah. that's pretty cool like even after they retire they're still doing stuff to be beneficial to the community yeah 100 percent. do you feel like the the horticultural side of your mind that's a hard word to say i, know. I don't know that i've ever said that word <laughs> my mouth did not want to put those <laughs> those syllables together do you feel like that influenced you at all into your love of nature and was she did y'all have a garden outside growing up yeah she still does it's huge you know at that time for my generation growing up it was like yeah we sound so right, old talking nothing like to, you know there's no social media and shit like that so it was, yeah it was go outside in the summer it was like go outside and you can if you can't find something to do then you're gonna help me weed the garden so yeah i've always i mean my house is like a literal jungle and i can spin this around but <laughs> So, yeah, I definitely um, got a little bit of a green thumb from her, I like to think. But, yeah, I have a couple gardens. I, my house is full of plants. I kind of live for it. I love it. I killed a cactus. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we, we have some very tiny succulents in our house. They don't last long. I feel like you're in the right, you're in the right place for that, though, aren't you? I mean, 
just because I live here doesn't mean I can grow shit here. <laughs> so I can't, uh, I can't, I mean, I can grow weeds. That's, we've got a lot of weeds in our mulch yeah. bed. It's very, they always prevail. it's very mint. Also, I, I planted mint one time. That was a bad idea. And then I had a, have you ever planted mint? Yeah. It comes back every year. Yeah. And it also kills everything in its path. It's like you could grow a yard of mint and it would take over all grass. It's, pretty intense yeah it's true i'm not a I don't, i'm not a horticulturalist god that's a hard word there to say <laughs> great that's my that's my feet for the day i said a, a word with 13 consonants in it <laughs> well i appreciate your time uh i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what you do i mean i think i think you're incredibly talented you've got a hell of a work ethic um I know that there would be a lot of places that would benefit from having you consult with them help them teach them train them and you know if people are willing to pay you to make themselves better then everybody that dines at those restaurants will have a better experience oh thank you you're very welcome and also for you i like was telling some i've said actually a few times you're like one of the few people i know that you're a chef you own a restaurant you know especially at like your stage in your career and you're still always down to like you're saying how you like stodge in Boston every year, you know, besides COVID, because you still feel like there's always much more to learn. And I really appreciate that because I think that can get lost when we get to, you know, our age and our point in life where yeah. we're kind of wrapped up in what we're doing. But yeah, I think that's super rad. Yeah, I think you can always learn. And I've got a friend who um, we were actually on the Food Network together. That's how we met. And he was from Hawaii. And he had his own thing going on, and he worked for a hotel, I believe. And then he was like 45 years old, and he went and stodged with Curtis Duffy at Grace for a week. Oh, nice. <laughs> Probably one of the hardest weeks of his life. I mean, that's yeah. three Michelin stars is not easy to walk into if you've never been in that environment. I mean, it's you're talking attention to detail, and his kitchen is super quiet. I mean, they don't they don't talk. And that's There's no laughing. No, I would not fit in well in that environment at all. I'd be asked to leave within the first five minutes. If just quiet, I'd start to laugh. I'm just like, this is awkward. <laughs> well, it's even when they're putting food up to the pass to sell, they would start a stop clock, which gave them like 60 to 90 seconds to complete the dish and then get it out because that's the optimal amount of time it can sit without losing too much quality or temperature or whatever. And they just don't talk. It's like chicken, steak potato and i'm just this is super weird but after that he went and um he went and got a job with uh dominique crin and he worked with oh. he was like her culinary creative director guy and then COVID hit and he is now doing logistics for amazon you know it doesn't make any sense where you yeah, are yeah, I, do, I, guess. I mean yeah now he owns like a fleet of amazon vans and he it's called like Michelin logistics or something crazy. I don't know. Wow. Um, props to him for pivoting. Right. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like you, I can learn, I can learn from everybody, you know, 20 years ago, I could not have cared any less about learning. And now I just, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they're like, all these people kind of have the same story and the same thread. And well, they, I mean, sure they do. Like we're born, we grow up, we get jobs. Now we're here, but all yeah. these stories are so different and personal and it's, you know, we can learn from everybody's got a different perspective and point of view. And that's the fun thing about talking to people is that you've lived through different experiences than I have, and you've seen things differently. And, you know, you 
love the outdoors, you love the sun, but you're trapped in a basement for, you know, 18 <laughs> hours a day. And, you know, you just get to uh, get a little insight from different people. And it's, I don't know, that's the fun part about life. Yeah, 100%. It's cool. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you got a, yeah. a hectic schedule, but it's good to see you. No, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. All right. See you, Meg. <laughs>